Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to our Unitarian Church. I'd like to say how glad I am to see that there are so many of you who opted to not go drinking in the provincial parks this weekend. (laughs) Welcome to the Unitarian Church this morning. You may notice that we are uh, somewhat more floral than typically we are. And that's because yesterday afternoon we celebrated the wedding of Gordon Ritchie and Robert Begg. And aside from all his musical gifts and herbal gifts, uh, some of you who've known him for a long time may recall that Gordon was a florist for many years. Hence, we are decorated. The Unitarian Universalist faith is a creedless community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We embrace a pluralist philosophy, opening our hearts and minds to diverse ideas, feelings, and expressions of world community, which is really what today's service is about. Whatever your heritage, whatever your faith, whomever you love, you are welcome here today. We respectfully acknowledge that we meet on the traditional Cree lands and are now part of Treaty 6 territory. It is a historic gathering place for many nations. If you are new here, we invite you to stay afterwards for coffee hour and to get to know us. And if you have not already done so, please visit our newcomer table in the hall. They have lots of useful information, and most of the time they're very nice people, too. We recognize that everyone in here has a role to play in help building this community, and we can do so only by cherishing our friendships and opening our circle to include newcomers. We give thanks to those who work on behalf of our community every day, and we acknowledge the volunteers who make Sunday mornings run so smoothly. We ask that you take a moment to make sure that all of your electronic devices are silenced. Okay, I better double-check, too. Yep. For those of you who are, uh, need a little assistance with hearing, the usher has an easy-to-operate audio aid. It is our practice to gather afterwards for coffee and conversation in the foyer, and we invite you to join us. We're glad to have you here this morning. It's a quieter beginning because our youth group are all the way in Calgary at the National Youth Conference, so we don't have the first row. We didn't need to put out a first row today, but uh, they're off having a great time, I'm told. We hope you find something in the service today that nourishes your spirit and helps you find and keep your balance. We open our service today with a prelude. Sometimes it's a piece of quiet contemplation, and I suppose in many ways this is, but it's also a reading for the later on sermon. Greetings, Kermit the Frog here, and today I'd like to tell you a little bit about the color green. Uh, Do you know what's green? Well, I am for one thing. You see, frogs are green, and I'm a frog, and that means I'm green, you see? It's not that easy being green. Having to spend each day the color of the leaves. When I think it could be nicer being red or yellow or gold, or something much more colorful like that. It's not easy being green. 
It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things And people tend to pass you over Cause you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water Or stars in the sky But green's the color of spring And green can be cool and friendly like And green can be big like an ocean Or important like a mountain Or tall like a tree When green is all there is to be It could make you wonder why But why wonder why wonder I am green And it'll do fine It's beautiful And I think It's what I want to be The opening words are by David Pohl, longtime minister in our Ottawa congregation. We come to this time in this place to rediscover the wondrous gift of free religious community, to renew our faith in the holiness, goodness, and beauty of life, to reaffirm the way of the open mind and the full heart, to rekindle the flame of memory and hope and to reclaim the vision of an earth made fair and all her people one. I'd like to invite Jeff Bizance forward. Jeff is an usher, a social activist, a longtime member, a trumpeter, a member of the Coriolis. I'd like to ask him to light our chalice this morning. The symbol of our faith, the campfire around which we gather this holiday weekend, and the light of spirit. Let's claim this particular candle, this particular flame, by singing hymn number 118, 118, This Little Light of Mine. like to invite Will and the children to come forward and light our children's chalice today. Such children as we have. 
such wonderful children as we have, such truly exceptional children as we have today. Let's do another, this little light of mine. Just one verse. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Well, I want to start with a thank you. I want to thank all of you who with pledges or checks or direct deposits or a dollar in the plate now and again support the work of this congregation. Because without you, we wouldn't be here. Of course, without you, we wouldn't be here either. But we need not only you, but we need your time and your talents and your passions. And we do also require your money in a freestanding church. So we'll take an offering to support the work of this congregation. However, every week, for those of you who are relatively new, we also share a portion of our offering. Half of the unidentified cash that comes in goes to a body outside of this church. And sometimes it's local in our community, and sometimes national, and sometimes international. This month, we have been uh, collecting for, yes, and I always forget the new name, Youth, Youth Emergency Support... Youth Empowerment Support Services. Youth Empowerment and Support Services. A wonderful organization that helps a lot of kids who are on the streets or near to being on the streets. So it's a a very excellent, excellent organization here in Edmonton. We invite you to support it generously. And uh, another reading, if you will, uh, that's kind of in the theme will be the music for this. It's from Steve Barton and the Steep Canyon Rangers. And enjoy. You know, religious people have such beautiful music and art, and atheists really have nothing. (laughs) Until now. This is the entire atheist hymnal right here. Little tune called... Atheists don't have no songs. Christians have, Christians have their hymns and pages. Hymns and pages. Habanagilas for the Jews. For the Jews. Baptists have the rock of ages. Rock of ages. Atheists just sing the blues. Romantics play, Romantics play Claire, de Lune. Claire de Lune, born again, sing he is risen, but no one ever wrote a tune, wrote a tune, for godless existentialism, for atheists, there's no good news, they'll never sing a song of faith. In their songs, they have a rule. The he is always lowercase. The he is always lowercase. Some folks sing. Some folks sing a Bacchantata. Bacchantata. Lutherans get Christmas trees. 
Atheist songs add up to nada, up to nada, but they do, but they do. have Sundays free, have Sundays free. Pentecostal saints, Pentecostal saints, sing to heaven, sing to heaven. Coptics had the book of scrolls. Numerologists count, count to seven, count to seven. Atheists have rock and roll. For atheists, there's no good news. They'll never sing a song of faith. In their songs, they have a rule. The he is always lowercase. The he is always lowercase. Atheists don't have no song. Christians have their hymns and pages. Hymns and pages. Havanagilas for the Jews. For the Jews. Baptists have the rock of ages. Rock of ages. Atheists just sing the blues. Catholics dress up for mass and listen to Gregorian chants. Atheists just take a pass. Watch football in their underpants. Watch football in their underpants. Atheists. Atheists. Don't have no song. Don't have no song. We give thanks for the offering, and we invite you to join in the offering song in your order of service. A weekly tradition for us is acknowledging that each one of us is unique and an individual and has a story to tell. And we come into this room every Sunday maybe feeling just okay or good or great because of the story we have to tell. And sometimes we're sad or a little heartbroken or troubled. We recognize that by inviting people to come forward as they wish and light a candle for a particular joy or particular concern. And this Sunday, we'll do this silently. So if you'd like to light a candle, please come forward now. No one of us is an island, truly. We're all interconnected by so many things to each other, to generations past and generations to come, to the world around us in so many ways. These candles remind us that our concerns are shared by others. Our joys are shared by others. There is a place for us in this planet. And these are our prayers. Amen. I'd like to invite you into a time of meditation today. 
Ralph Waldo Emerson was one of the earliest ministers of our Unitarian community back in the 1820s, and he eventually went on to become widely known as a premier American philosopher. He writes, this is one of my favorite passages of his, The Oversoul. Let us learn from the revelation of all nature and thought that the highest dwells within us, that the sources of nature are in our own minds. As there is no screen or ceiling between our heads and the infinite heavens, so there is no bar or wall in the soul where we, the effect, cease and God, the cause, begins. I am constrained every moment to acknowledge a higher origin for events than the will I call mine. There is deep power in which we exist and whose beatitude is accessible to us. Every moment when the individual feels invaded by it is memorable. It comes to the lowly and simple. It comes to whosoever will put off what is foreign and proud. It comes as insight. It comes as serenity and grandeur. The soul's health consists in the fullness of its reception. Forever and ever the influx of this better and more universal self is new and unsearchable. Within us is the soul of the whole, the wise silence, the universal beauty to which every part and particle is equally related, the eternal one. And when it breaks through our intelligence, it is genius. And when it breathes through our will, it is virtue. And when it flows through our affections, it is love. I invite you into a time of silence and reflection. And after a few moments, I'll play a song, a hymn of sorts, by a man named Peter Mayer, who is a Unitarian Universalist and has captured in recent decades some wonderful feelings about spirituality that are coursing, coursing and re, being reborn in our movement. I invite you to enter a time of silence together. Shifting waters of the river of this life I was swimming, seeking comfort I was wrestling ways to find A boulder I could cling to A stone to hold me fast Where I let the fretful waters Of this river around me pass 
So I found an anchor, a blessed resting place, trusty rock I called my savior. There I would be safe from the river and its dangers, and I proclaim my rock divine. And I pray to it protect me, and the rock replied, God is a river, not just a stone. God is a wild, raging rapids and a slow, meandering flow. God is a deep and narrow passage. Peaceful sandy shore. God is a river swimmer. So let go. Still I clung to my rock tightly with conviction in my arms. Never looking at the stream to keep my mind from thoughts of harm. But the river kept on coming, kept on tugging at my legs. Till at last my fingers faltered and I was swept away. So I'm going with the flow now, these relentless twists and bends. Acclimating to the motion and a sense of being led. And this river is like my body now, it carries me along through the ever changing scenes and by the rocks that sing this song. God is a river, not just a stone. God is a wild, raging rapids and slow, meandering flow. God is a deep and narrow passage, a peaceful sandy shore. God is a river swimmer, so let go. God is the river swimmer. So let go. lot of God language for this church this morning, so uh, we'll have a community question time, and it's the simplest question I've ever asked. God? Yes? No? What do you think? How does it work? And through your conversation, you're making my sermon a whole lot easier. So I invite you to take a couple of minutes and talk to your neighbors, ones, twos, tens, whatever, and have a little conversation about your own response to the word God. And remember, all answers are acceptable here.
When this gray hymn book was introduced in 1993, it was, it may feel dated now because it was 1993, but it had some real steps forward. And one of them was the inclusion of hymn number 51, a, a song that explored images of God, not in old traditional ways, but in ways that include the feminine and the pagan and the young and the old. And as I mentioned, this was Gordon's Gordon and Robert's wedding yesterday, and I don't know if you've ever played this game, those of you who've been around for a while, but open to the very front of the book and see who bought the book that you're singing from today. And the reason why I mention it is the book that I have celebrates the 1991 marriage of Karen and Andrew Mills. So I invite you to join in hymn number 51, Lady of the Season's Laughter. They are perhaps the most wonderful tools we have for communication with one another, for recording thoughts and preserving and transmitting ideas. They allow us to share complex concepts over great distances and times. I love words. I make my living with words. But words are not all of communication. In fact, they aren't even the most important form of communication between people. Scientists estimates that fully two-thirds of our communication is nonverbal. Kinesis or body language, use of voice, 
volume, intonation, etc. And then there's touch, distance from the other person, pace of communications, eye contact, and so on. Two-thirds of our communication, they say, takes place without the words. But it is words that dominate our awareness more than those other things. We are so attuned to words, inundated with words. Words can be our greatest tool, but also our greatest burden. Kermit sang, it's not easy being green in our prelude. And then he went on to try and describe greenness by pointing out some things that are shades of green. His song is built on the idea that we associate certain qualities, some bland, some wonderful, with the word green. But just what is green? Well, he can't answer that one. How do you put green into words or communicate green exactly? Kermit found out that you can't. In the same way, we can't find perfect words that truly describe love or sadness or despair or as you all just discovered in the community question where you added several thousand words to the discussion, God. If we could, we wouldn't have billions of books and songs and poems trying to nail down all of those very things, trying to describe love and life and Yes, God, too. And for many earthlings, the whole subject of God has become a matter of divine curiosity. It's something about which we ponder, theorize, pray, develop articles of faith, and sometimes we even go to war about it. But usually that going to war part comes after we've satisfied our curiosity rigidified our beliefs, and determined that only our views are right. Now, a quick disclaimer. Unless otherwise noted, I am using God in its most generic lowercase g sense. As Steve Martin sang, in their songs, the H is always lowercase. What I'm not discussing is a particular divinity. Not the guy who supposedly walked with Adam in the garden or got ticked off with everybody and drowned everyone but Noah's family. I'm not talking about Jesus' distant father, nor Allah, nor Shiva, nor Venus, nor Bridget, nor, 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 nor. They are all characters described by words. Characters invented by us, by human beings. They are masks made from words that we hang on this thing we are desperately trying to describe. So today when I use the word God, I'm speaking of an impulse, a feeling, something that tickles us deep inside. I'm speaking of the color green, something that is perceived uniquely by each one of us, understood by each one of us uniquely, and then very likely described by each one of us in a way that is unique to us. So if you are an atheist or a believer or an agnostic or someone who has been battered by the word God, take a deep breath. (laughs) Nothing here is intended to insult or force you to think in a certain way. I'm merely exploring, making use of the inadequate tool of words.
The God problem, if you will, is what theologians and priests and ministers have built thousands upon thousands of libraries trying to pin down God in words. Now, some of those were merely curious and were just trying to get a handle on a feeling, express something from deep in their soul. And others, as I'm sure comes as no surprise, were dogmatically using a single narrow version of God to solidify positions of power or build institutions. They have waged wars about words more than about the idea of God. Describing God in words by even using more words has its usefulness but because it invites people to think and to be curious. And yet it can also be impossible exercise of chasing one's tail. How amazingly silly is that? It's like trying to debate the idea of smoke or argue the color of green, suggesting one interpretation is correct. It's not a debate that can ever be won. Because God doesn't start with words. God begins as a feeling. A Unitarian Universalist more and more seem to get that, or at least the ones who allow for the possibility of God, and those who don't, that's cool. Our statement of sources begins, the living tradition we share draws from many sources. Direct experience, direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces that create and uphold life. Us. You and you and you and you and you and me. We are the starting point of religious exploration. Us, not someone else with their words. It has always been in every great religious tradition. It's always started with the individual, even if few of the thinkers from those traditions have ever acknowledged that fact. I love that source. It has balance. It speaks to those who think in terms of the spiritual, but it leaves lots of room for the intellectually stimulated to posit theories about the forces that create and uphold life. There's room for that entire continuum that runs between atheist and believer, between spiritual and scientific, and it starts with our understanding. Although, as Steve Martin noted, the atheists don't got no songs. So where does the wordy debate fit into our sources? Well, it fits because words, along with music and art and theater and even ritual, are the tools that we have to try and share our understanding of this mystery and wonder. But they're limited. What's green? Well, for Kermit, it's a series of feelings, some happy, some sad, that define the color, that define him and the very core of his being. And for Kermit, Green is also a series of metaphors that help him relate to the rest of the world and describe greenness. What is God? Pretty much the same thing. A series of feelings and observations and perceptions, ideas and metaphors that help us define ourselves and more importantly, help us define ourselves 
in terms of the other. The German theologian Martin Buber posited in the 1930s that God is primarily a relationship between us and the other, or as he called it, between I and thou. It's about how we define and place ourselves in the universe that holds both fact and the unknown. We are relational creatures. That was the core of his theory. We share our intellects, our passions, our fears. Sometimes we share those with other beings, sometimes with animals, sometimes with our inner selves using journals and diaries, sometimes in prayer to an other we perceive to be external to us. But at the core is the act of connecting and sharing, no matter how you frame it. Relationship to that which is outside of us is the key. How we can describe that relationship is up to us. Alone. Regardless of the words others use or the degree that they insist that their words are right, it is up to us alone. The idea of God arises in us because we have questions and feelings that we can't frame in words. We see beauty and tragedy that we cannot explain and sometimes even understand. But we are uncomfortable with the unknowing, so we call it something. Might be God, might be love, might be evil, might be tragedy, might be undiscovered science. We're afraid of being alone in this big world, even when we're surrounded by others and others who love us. We commonly fear that no one really knows us. For some, drawing in a concept of God eases that ache and that fear. Theology is really just an attempt to capture this impulse in words. But we're individuals. We are not isolated beings. Every second of our lives, we are in relationship, like we talked about when we were lighting candles. We give our thoughts, our visions, our dreams, our work, our tears, our laughter, and yes, our spirits to the world. And the world gives back to us. In the meditation, Emerson wrote, Within us is the soul of the whole, the wise silence, the universal beauty to which every part and particle is equally related, the eternal one. And when it breaks through our intellect, it is genius. When it breaks through our, breathes through our will, it is virtue. And when it flows through our affection, it is love. For Emerson, there was a symbiotic connection with this otherness. We are in it and it is in us. And we get to give our voice and our feelings and our words and our actions. That's kind of cool. Because we are relational, we reach out. We want to know and more importantly, we want to be known. Reaching out is an exercise that brings us peace individually, perhaps, but it often fails, especially when we're trying to do it only through words. 
I'm a man. I have been accused of mansplaining. I know how my words fail me sometimes when I'm trying to talk about emotions in relationship. Our words are just not up to the task. They are only one-third of communication. They might be beautiful or poetic or filled with scientific precision, but they are aimed at defining for others that which can only be defined for us. I heard someone suggest not too long ago that the majority of Unitarians are atheists. Well, I don't think that's true unless that accusation is in reference to a very specific concept of God. I think that there's a lot more belief in this room, belief in something, something other, something thou in relationship with our I. I think there's a lot more belief in that in this room than atheism can claim as support. And if not belief in some concept of God, then at least agnosticism, the position of not knowing for sure, Agnostics neither believe nor disbelieve. They just don't know. They're waiting for more evidence. And there are some, of course, for whom the whole word God has been irreparably damaged beyond reclamation. And if that's you and this sermon has made you uncomfortable, I apologize. It's sad, but it's fine. The last thing we need is to be forced to use the same words. But if that is your place, if God is a bad word for you, I'd invite you to define whatever it is that connects you to the other. You don't have to justify it. You don't have to explain it. I'm not expecting a flood of emails. But I do suggest that you find ways to be curious about that connecting force. It does not require your worship. I don't think any concept of God actually ever did. It does not require your worship, but there may be a part of you that needs to at least honor its existence. I, for one, believe in God most of the time because when I'm at my best, I am intently aware of the thousand threads of connections that surround me, embrace me, and hold me and tie me to others. I don't think this God has anything to do with my daily life or is watching me or anything like that. I think this God just exists in those connections. And there are days when I contemplate the horrors that do exist in the world, the massive failings in human enterprise, the more manageable failings of my own character. People and peoples do horrible things. And on those days, believing in the religious impulse is pretty hard. On those days, I confess to sometimes longing for that father deity who would punish the wrongdoers. The other wrongdoers, not me, of course. There's something delicious in the idea of divine smiting. But I don't call that religion. I don't even call that faith or belief. I call that the same sort of flight of fancy as the ways I imagine the spending the millions in the lottery win that I will claim on Wednesday night. But mostly I believe in God because I believe in myself and in you and in the goodness of people 
I do not know and will never meet. I believe that I'm deeply related to all of them and to nature as well. I believe in God because there is great art and there are passionate social activists. I believe in God because there is great music and, especially for me, fabulous chefs. I believe in God because I have felt love, absolute and complete love in my life. All of those things I've named arise from our connections with ourselves and the other. All of those transcendent and mysterious connections leave me breathless. I call that impulsive breathlessness God. Amen. When I was a student a long, long time ago and read that reading of Ralph Waldo Emerson about the oversoul and was thinking about how we connect to the universe, he has another reading that talks about it's there like a fine ether. And I developed this, this odd little concept for myself that God sort of exists up there in the universe, and if we choose to, we can tap into that divine energy. Kind of like the bumper cars at the carnival. You know, you're in a little car that's going nowhere until this little rod connects with the electricity, and then you can go. So in honor of Ralph Aldo Emerson's concept of the oversoul and my destruction of that concept... We're going to close with hymn number 30, Over My Head. wake you up. The chalice is extinguished. 
but its light lives on in the minds and the hearts and the souls of each one of you if you decide that you, in fact, have a soul. <laughs> so I invite you to carry this light with you when you leave this place and share it with those you know, those you love, and most especially those you've yet to meet. We'll sing Carry the Flame, and then we have a few announcements. <laughs>